We live in the world, which is headed and run by the prince of the power of the air. But we live by the Spirit, discerning the times. For he who is spiritual discerns all things. Sharpen your discernment. Build your faith. Listen to the Word and World Team. Minister the Word of God through conversational theology, piercing the darkness of this present evil age. Hello darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping left its seeds while I was sleeping. And the vision that was planted in my brain still remains within the sound of silence. Okay, well, welcome. This is Hampton Keithley and Bob Brandon, and we are continuing our series on our core beliefs. And I think we're going to be doing something controversial today. Is that right, Bob? You, you're no. you're a controversial core belief. No, I'm not. <laughs> oh, so that's a funny introduction. Uh, <laughs> controversies followed me most of my life, but <clears throat> I'm not trying to be controversial. And so I want to present this in a way that <laughs> everybody understands where I'm coming from. Maybe the best way to do it is is two introductory kind of comments. One. This is a, a uh, example of, on the one hand, this, on the other hand, that. So I don't mean this core belief to be, it's stated in isolation, but I don't mean it to be understood in isolation. And the second uh, introductory comment is, some of it is kind of like pushback, you know, we don't believe that we evolved. I'm adamant about that. Right. And, and I don't think we even evolved a little bit. You know how some people sort of hedge on that, you know, particularly the, well, maybe God, you know, maybe he used evolution to no, he didn't. I, I would, Ev I would counter that not only have we not evolved, we have devolved I, with, yes. with the, the generation. Is that the, Yes. The right word for of the gene pool. And, you know, yes. when I, read, I read Genesis and the things that the sons of Adam, you Could know, do. near, near sons were making musical instruments and tools and building cities. And so I, and I think that would also tie into what you're going to say today. It, it would. And, and I agree a hundred percent. We're going to get to, you know, on one of these podcasts coming up, uh, we'll cover evolution. We'll do maybe, six or seven podcasts on that just the science of it it's flawed it's dramatically flawed i was overwhelmed remember we had the opportunity to go down to denver together was that two years ago maybe three yeah three, three years ago or, oh boy time passes so fast so at the ets you know down in denver that's not too long of a drive for us 100 miles through the beautiful mountains and uh you know so i'm just milling around i'm like what do i want to attend you know which which session and I'm, i look down at the schedule oh 
boy, they have a whole segment of the evangelical theological society on, on evolution. Let me see what they're saying. I, I could hardly sit still in there. They, they were almost treating that as if that had validity. And uh, well, was it? I don't know if it was that ETS, but there was, I mean, I, I may be wrong on the name, but I want to say the guy's name was Walton or something. And I think he was oh, John Catholic, Walton. Catholic priest from some mm. college in Canada. And I may be wrong. It may not have been him, but there was something like that. I remember Greg Kokel was in the, in the, um, the room at listening. And you know what A-N-E has always stood for? Ancient Near East, right? Yeah, I learned at that meeting or at that session that it stood for Adam never existed. <laughs> so, and then, you know, that they were having a guy, you know, up there talking and saying that Adam never existed. I thought, what about Romans 5 and, you know, all those important Luke's, Luke's genealogy that traces Jesus back to Adam. Right. Genetics, right? That's a gene. Anyway. So we'll we'll. So anyway, you went to you went to evo the evolution stuff and. Yeah, and it, I mean they were treating that as if that was valid, and man, I raised my hand. That whole room turned around when I made my comments, but that shocked me. I guess it shouldn't, but it shocked. So anyway, the the point is, with the core belief number six. Some of this is a reaction to evolution because though we don't believe that, that, that evolution is, is a fact, even that the science is anywhere near acceptable. Um, obviously, there's adaptation. There's not speciation. But um, regardless, it, we live and breathe it in our culture even though you don't believe it, you know, it's like you can't be unstained by it. And so it's so such an easy, it's such a lazy move, Hampton, to correspond to one of our earlier right. core beliefs. It's such a lazy move to that it slips into your thinking. And we, we approach the human race as if we're animals. Yeah, we are not. I understand the media is going to present it that way. I understand our culture is going to present it that way. We are not. We're not an animal. We are a creation. But and we have physical bodies, but we we're, we're not an animal. And so it, this this core belief, let me just state You're it. I'm going to say what we need to say what your core belief is. <laughs> We've been talking for however 5 minutes. I don't know I know what it is, but Go, go ahead. What's the next core belief? This is core belief number six. The uh, numbers don't matter. After number one. So we have 26 total <laughs> core beliefs. Number one is the key to all of them, right? The Bible is God's word. But after this, this, this is kind of like, uh, what is it? Lamentations. And they have a, a <laughs> section for every letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, you know, there you go. Maybe you should alphabetize yours or something. There you Well, and it's almost like. I was thinking this morning, you know, when uh, the scriptures go over David's uh, warriors, you know, his list of heroes, and it'll say how great so-and-so was, but he didn't attain to the three, right? <laughs> so uh, my core, 
two through 26 would not attain to the one. <laughs> okay. Which is the Bible's, the God's, Bible's word. God's word. That's everything. So, but here's number six. When Jesus took on humanity, it wasn't that big of a step down. I like saying it that way with the caveats I've presented, right? Essentially, this is a reaction to the, the dominance of evolution in our culture. And it's on the one hand this, on the other hand that. So um, let, me, let me address on the one hand. On the left hand, a step down for God due to the nature of God, his attributes and so on, is infinite. So when I say this is not that big of a step down, I, I understand. It's, it's an infinite, it's an infinitely big step down. <laughs> it's an infinite step. But given what I'm going to say, you, you'll see on the other hand, it wasn't that big. You know what I'm saying? I, I want both of those truths held together. I, I don't want this. Kind of like, kind of like the uh, incarnation itself. Well, yeah, of course, that's what we're talking <laughs> about. So uh, let me go to one of my favorite authors. I think he might be one of yours as well. This is Eugene Merrill. We've referred to him before, and we've referred to this book, Everlasting Dominion. Right. It's really good in Old Testament theology. And um, there are certain authors you know, that I've learned over time. Um, it's almost as if Hampton, every sentence that they write, you could pause over and really consider it. You know, what, what a great thing. We do what I would call conversational theology, where you'd have to listen to us for an hour and you could filter out 90% of it or so, you know what I mean? It's, it's easy listening, but it'll get your wheels turning. But you read a book by Merrill, and the goal is not to finish that book in three or four days. Yeah, I feel that way. Like when we did the Truman book or Nancy Piercy stuff. And, yeah. You know, I mean, every so much sentence, in there. It's thought through. You know, that's the value of scripture. I'm going to get you. I know you're rabbit trailing me. But we'll get we'll get back to the main point in a minute. I had a guy ask me once who was an unbeliever, and you know I used to write uh, editorials in the Vale Daily newspaper, and you know I'd written about the reality of God and so on. And uh, this guy has me over for dinner. They were a swim team family, so loved their kids and so on. And he was uh, agitated. He's certainly cordial, you know, we're having dinner together, but, but he, he was concerned about what I had said. And he, he goes, here, here's my question. He goes, if what you're saying is true, why doesn't God go on CNN and just, you know, uh, describe himself, say, here I am. Do you guys need to believe in me? Blah, blah, blah. Why doesn't he just make it so obvious? Isn't that an interesting question yeah but, so, he, but he did that <laughs> <laughs> not on well, cnn he came in person <laughs> so there you go and so so what i said uh, was a little different than than your response yours is much better but what i said you know um have you ever read a book and then seen a movie made out of 
made based on the book? Well, of course, right? Everybody has. And I said, isn't there a pretty much a universal comment that applies to that where people will say it wasn't as good as the book? <laughs> right, right. Universal. Everybody says that, right? Mm-hmm. I said, so, yeah, like to your point, Hampton, I said, yeah, he did better than CNN. He wrote a book so you could just read it. And if you didn't see him, if you missed CNN, right, you can go back and read it. And if you didn't get it, you can read it again. I go, isn't isn't that better? And then I said, and by the way, if he did do that on CNN, what would you say? You wouldn't go, oh, well, there he is. Okay, I'm on board. I said, you would say that's fake or they rigged that or I did that. Well, trust me, you would not submit to that revelation. And then Hampton, think, you know, I quoted him, think, think of the verse that applies directly to what we're saying, where Jesus says, you know, they have Moses and the prophets. If they don't believe that, neither will they believe even if someone rises from the dead. Yeah, and then I also was thinking of the verse where, blessed are you who believe because you see, and then blessed are those who believe and don't see that doesn't mean they yeah. just have blind faith it means they believe the word right that's the ultimate his word is the ultimate sword that pierces your heart so if you're not being pierced by that you're not going to be pierced by some appearance on a news station <laughs> so did that so convince anyway. him no of course not <laughs> okay but we remain good friends to this day and i'm invested in this company i hope his company does well <laughs> <laughs> Um, so back to the point at hand with Merrill, with Eugene Merrill, here's the issue. When Jesus took on humanity, it wasn't that big of a step down with all the caveats we've expressed. Here's Eugene Merrill. The book is everlasting dominion. This is chapter 10 subtitled the God and the world. So I'm going to read a little bit of this. You can interrupt me if you see fit. The controlling thesis of the present work is that God, who's existed from eternity past, interrupted the endless eons by a mighty work of creation in which he brought about an arena over which he might display his glory and power as the sovereign Lord. Let's pause for a second. How about that for a sentence? I mean, couldn't you just dwell on almost every word of that? Yeah. Hmm. So he continues on. His imminence in doing so is balanced, however, by his transcendence, a distancing from the material universe that underscores his separateness from it as an aspect of his holiness. The bridging of the chasm between God the ineffable one in his creation in general was accomplished by the creation of mankind as God's image and likeness. To this privileged creature was assigned the responsibility of stewardship over all else that God had made. God, the great king, thus deigned to administer his kingdom through a surrogate ruler, not as an afterthought, 
but as the central feature of his grand design for history and eternity. So that, that's the first paragraph of that chapter. The central focus for my point is that he, the creation of mankind as God's image and likeness, as opposed to in God's image and likeness. And Merrill's not the only guy to point this out. There's this maybe, I don't know when he published this book, but uh, the last four or five theologies I've read we're all making the same point. Oh, this about, is too, about man created as God's image yes. as opposed to in yes. God's image. And I know we had a previous podcast where he talked about that. How would, but how would you summarize the difference? So Merrill wrote this in 2006. But so the difference to me is this. Imagine in your mind, you know, a scale. So on the left-hand side, imagine God. And on the right-hand side, imagine man. And in the middle, imagine his image. So for mankind to be in God's image is to move man from the right to the left halfway. I don't think that's what's going on. I think that's the wrong picture. I think the point of as God's image is imagine God on the left and imagine his image right next to him. And man is that image. That's the difference. That's significant. So does that, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. So one of the applications of that, we're going to, we're going to read some scripture here in a second, but one of the applications of that is um, helpful for me and helpful for you to continually point this out to me, I can get pretty mad at mankind. <laughs> maybe yeah. that's not even the right, maybe it's not even the right word. I can get frustrated by resistance to what I'm saying is when I'm talking theologically, if it's about who's a better football team than the Browns, I don't really care. But if well, it's you would, about, you would have to adopt that stance with the Browns. <laughs> If, if I'm going to adhere to reality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, uh, but when I'm talking theologically and I get resistance, man, I'm, I'm certain some of that's personality that I need to work on, but some of that's the spirit of God. Well, there is a righteous indignation when there you see injustice. There is. And do you recall at one point in the Gospels, the disciples pulling Jesus aside and saying, you know, the, the Pharisees were offended by that. <laughs> and, you know, did Jesus respond? Oh, oh, my, I better tone it down. Or, no. yeah, he quotes it even further. Right. So. Um, so anyway. um this is, this is an important concept. And where I was going with that is I have to remember that the people that I speak with are the image of God. Even, even though they're resisting that, there should be afforded and accorded all the respect that's due to their position. Right. And, and let's push that even further. 
say you're driving downtown Denver, you're in, you're outside of Dallas now in the lovely city of Garland. Say, say you're downtown, there's a drunk in the gutter. That's the image of God. What, how much respect does that person do? Everything. Right? I mean, right. nothing. nothing if, if I'm correct in the tact I'm taking, nothing except God outranks that drunk in the gutter. That's... That's transformative thinking. That's it's just really important to keep in mind. So how about you read some scripture? You okay. Here's a good one. Psalm 8. And Psalm 8 is not so big. So I'm reading from the net. Here we go. Psalm 8. For the musical director, according to the Giddith style, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your reputation throughout the earth. You reveal your majesty in the heavens above. From the mouths of children and nursing babies, you've ordained praise on account of your adversaries, so that you might put an end to the vindictive enemy. When I look up at the heavens, which your fingers made, and see the moon and the stars which you set in place. Of what importance is the human race that you should notice them? Of what importance is mankind that you should pay attention to them? You've made them a little less than the heavenly beings. You crowned mankind with honor and majesty. You appoint them to rule over your creation. You have placed everything under their authority including all the sheep and cattle, as well as the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that moves through the currents of the seas. O oh Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your reputation throughout the earth. What a great psalm. Anything, yeah. anything, you know, strike you anew as we read that? Anything stand out to you? Well, I couldn't help but think about the um, what's the what's the movie I'm supposed to watch? It's called. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh gosh! It's a documentary on the uh, mistreatment of cows and animals mm. and stuff like that. Mm. Where we've gone, you know, with our big cattle pens and and uh, the way we raise our farm animals and because that's a big deal for a lot of people that the injustice to the animals. Mm -hmm. And so, but we do have authority over the sheep and the cattle. Yeah. We outrank and, them. And we outrank them. You know, we may not have done it uh, properly, but we do have authority. So I would appeal to this Psalm if I was having a discussion about that. Very good. Here's uh, two things that stand out to me. Number one, does it seem strange to you? Does it, I don't know how to express this really, but one of the ways I study is, you know, when I read, I think I wouldn't have said that that way. <laughs> or, you know, why did they put that there? Not, not that I'm, I'm saying 
I'm right, they're wrong. It just stands out to me when it's something's there that I would not have put there. You know what I mean? Well, it, it, it was interesting that it's God's reputation that man's authority. I mean, that was one of the ideas I got from that was our authority, our exercise of our authority over the animals has something to do with yeah. that represents God's reputation. Yes, because we're his image. That's exist. Ex- so things that are spoken against mankind are spoken against God. We're his image. I'm going to get back to that point later. That's significant. But here's what stood out to me. Why? What's with this verse about verse two? The, from the mouths of children and nursing babies, you've ordained praise on account of your adversaries. So yeah. that you, what, what's that doing in this psalm? What, why is that even? What's that got to do? With David's point about who mankind is, and the, well, the Net Bible, the Net Bible explains that in the footnote. It says the meaning of this statement is unclear. <laughs> well, <clears throat> okay, so here's a little. Um, keep this in your pocket. I, okay. I think you know you obviously know this, but th- this is you know much more for our listeners. My main study throughout my course of studies has been the devil. Did that word jump out at you in verse two? You have ordained praise on account of your adversaries. Right? Yeah. The word ad- adversary, that's Satan. Right? Usually. Oh, yeah. And obviously not a direct reference to Satan, but the same concept. Mm-hmm. So in other words, Think of it like this, Hampton. If you were the devil and you were going to attack God, where would you attack him? Well, I mean, you, you, you know you've who led, he is. You've, you've led me down the path. He would attack humankind. He would attack the image because God himself, Satan knows he's invincible. You, you know, you're not going to gain an inch of ground attacking God, but his image might be vulnerable turns out it was sort of right turned but that was all the plan we'll get into some of those passages in a minute but how interesting that that's in psalm 8 yeah before the main address of mankind's authority right it's very much like what happened in genesis 1 and 2 theologically Mm -hmm. i'm not saying he's making direct reference to that david isn't but it is interesting how they think you know it's interesting how inspiration works god's inspiring david to write what god wants written but he's you but he's using david is very used to adversaries right that guy led a life of massive conflict Mm -hmm. you know it might you might think in a naive moment oh boy it'd be desirable to be king of the most powerful nation on earth. Wouldn't that be great? You know, everything at your fingertips, it'd be terrible. <laughs> right? You would do nothing but fight battles your whole life. That's, that's all David did. You know, his fight his nobles, you know, that helped him rule the right. They're always advising him to do the wrong thing. And yeah, then he's fighting his kids, <laughs> fighting his kids. Oh, how, how heart wrenching is that? And then, yeah. then, you know, 
not to mention Goliath and the Philistines, you know, the literal battles he had to fight. He had to, was that guy was on the lamb for years, right? Wondering about when he was going to eat his next meal or get his next drink. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. So a- adversaries are an important concept in the scriptures. It, it's hard to understand the context of the entirety of the scriptures without understanding conflict and adversaries. That almost ought to be a new core belief, but not willing to put it in that category just yet. But anyway, that stood out to me. Here's the second thing that stood out to me in the Psalm. Um, Verse, the print's so small, Hampton. Verse five, you made them a little less than the heavenly beings. I take that to be a reference to the angelic realm. It could be the word there's Elohim, which mm-hmm. is used of God in certain places. But I, I'm not sure he's saying a little less than God. I've, I think the net's done a good job there. So a reference to the angelic realm. So think of this. I'm going to paint a scenario. So imagine a triangle that's like a pyramid, right, with the point at the top and the wide base at the bottom. And the triangle is divided into four levels. So pinnacle, and then a little broader next level, little broader next level, and then the base, four mm-hmm. level, four levels. And the lines are clear, sharp, distinct, and straight. <laughs> okay? okay? Here's at the top of the pyramid is God. Next level man next level angels final level the created the creation so all you know like you were addressing earlier yeah the cows and so on and the and the creation you know the earth itself um that is a picture of the authority structure of the universe that's how it was made and you're putting man, man at the second level because yes. of the passage that says yes. that we will judge angels. Uh, for two passages, that one, we will judge angels, and Hebrews chapter 1. To which of the angels did he ever say rule the earth, right? Mm-hmm. And then he says they were made as ministering spirits to us, ministers for us. So... When he says here, you know, this stands out to me in verse five, you've made him a little less little, I think it ought to say lower, because I think that's really kind of a spatial reference, okay. he- heaven above earth below. I-, I think that's what he means there. That's what David means, not less, a little less in rank. I, I don't think he means that. And-, and it does say heavenly beings in yeah. the... Uh... Net Bible. Right. So isn't that strange? I don't think most Christians perceive that authority structure that way, but Paul did. Mm-hmm. You, you will judge angels, right? We, we don't see ourselves as ruling, you know, created higher than angels in rank, but it looks like that's what the scripture is saying. I think part of why we don't see it that way is evolution has creeped into our mind, right? which sees us just a tad high, t- tad yeah. better than the animals at the bottom. 
Yeah, and in many ways, Hampton, let me, let me make this point clearly to our listeners. In evolutionary terms, mankind is not the pinnacle of the earth. We're a pretty fragile species. Ants, viruses, amoebas are very successful. And they're spread all over and they reproduce like crazy. We're, you know what I'm saying? A, yeah. a well, we're pure... back, in, back in Texas. We now have roaches again. <laughs> yeah, those guys are <laughs> I didn't. I did not miss the roaches when I lived in Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> but to a biologist, that's a hugely successful species, a roach, right? They, they look at humans as, yeah, we're, you know, we can, we have technology, but as a species, we're not more successful than tons of other things. You know, it's it's interest so demeaning, but that is how how they see it. But anyway, <clears throat> so the authority of structure of the universe, as we've described. Now, here's what happened. Make look to the left in your mind of that triangle, and draw a little equal sign, not to represent equal, but to represent what happened, and imagine the line between the second and third levels. And that line got blurred. That's Genesis 3. Is it not? Mm-hmm. Did the angelic realm, right? When I say angelic, I mean, you know, good and bad. The demonic and the angelic. That's the angelic realm. Did they not get together with level two and try to take over level one? Yeah. That's what happened in schematic terms. The result of that is chaos, right? When the authority structure of the universe is askew, that's chaos. That's murder, death. You see murder in chapter four of Genesis, right? Right after after those lines were blurred. So, You might suspect, and this is one of those instances where I think that's not how I would have done it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So you might suspect God to repair the line between two and three, but he doesn't. What he does is blur the line between one and two. Does that sound like anybody you know? Fully fully God, fully man. So to the right side, the left side is chaos, the blurring of lines that divide three and two and three. Right. To the right side, make an equal sign, blur the line between one and two, and then write perfect peace. And that, if you have that concept in your mind, that is the scriptures from beginning. That's why I say, you know, we'll get to this in further podcasts, why I say Christianity is a worldview. That that picture that I've just described is everything. Every Christian needs to see the world through that lens. And I know that's a really bold statement, but that is reality. That's how God's done it. 
That's the authority structure of the universe. You can't work in a company without understanding its authority structure, right? Who you answer to and so on, how things are done. You, you can't read the Bible with any real understanding without having that authority structure in your mind. So that's Psalm 8. Let's look at Philippians 2. Once again, it'll take me a minute because your net Bible Hamptons, all these important pages and small. You need to learn to use netbible.org. <laughs> then you can just click the oh. book and the chapter and go straight there. I'm old school, Hampton. I can't, okay. I can't do these newfangled. <laughs> and you can make the font as big as you want to. <laughs> I have glasses that do that. Oh, boy. So. Here's, you know, a tremendously important theological passage. Yeah, I was actually already there before you took me off to Psalm 8. I figured we would end up in Philippians 2. Well, we did, but we're not going to end end there, but we are going to talk about this. So Philippians 2 verse 1, therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort provided by love, any fellowship in the spirit, any affection or mercy Complete my joy and be of the same mind by having the same love, being united in spirit and having one purpose. Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should, in humility, be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interests, but about the interests of others as well. You should have the same attitude toward one another that Christ Jesus had, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave, by looking like other men, and by sharing in human nature. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As a result, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father, man, what a passage. Yeah. First off, when, when I think one of the ways I read as well, besides wondering, you know, I wouldn't have said it that way, but it is how someone else would hear something. So when I read who, though he existed in the form of God, I know what that means, but I wonder how many people would grasp the significance of that because the word form to a modern English reader almost looks like it, not exactly, right? Yeah, like, that's true. Right? Who, who though he existed, not, not quite like God is, is almost how it comes across to the modern English reader. That's not what's going on in a text. That word form, you, you could translate that more something like essence, right? Who, though he existed in the essence of God, 
did not regard equality. See, he has equality with God. He's not below God in, in a sense, as far as his essence is mm-hmm. concerned. You see what I'm saying, right? Right. So that's one thing that stands out to me. Next thing is the the little um, line as something to be grasped. That almost looks again like he has to reach for it. Yeah, I've heard that uh, translated as to be held on. To. Yes, that's how I would say it. He has it. He he didn't feel the need to hang on to it. <laughs> He already has it. And so then that leads you to the next little, he emptied himself. And that, that's one of those things where I go, I wouldn't have said it that way. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm not scripture, but what's, what's he driving at there? Empty. Like, does that term emptied that verb? What's, what do you suspect is floating around behind that? He gave up some of his divine capabilities to become human. Okay. So here's what floats around in my mind. I try to, this is Paul, right? Obviously it's God and Paul, but you know, I don't want to remove the human author. Paul's Jewish to the core. Okay. Paul knows the sacrificial system inside and out. Don't they pour things? in that symptom in in that system yeah the sec, right that's how i i hear that emptied to me is pouring out something so to me the idea you're in blood usually right poured out on the altar and so so i hear that as a sacrificial term oh, but, okay. but i'm not i'm not saying that's necessarily the way to read it because i i understand exactly what you're saying so he poured himself out as an offering by by taking on humanity so that he could die. God can't die. Right? God can't be killed. Pharisees and the Romans can't hang God on a cross. But they they could do that to a man. Right. So emptied himself, you know, poured himself out of the use of his position. I don't think, you know, I've often heard this as like he surrendered his attributes. He didn't. He did plenty of miracles. Right. He read, right? He read plenty of minds. He, he displayed omniscience. He displayed power. It sure looks like he's got his attributes to me. Yeah. But, but what he did, but he didn't use them independently of the father's will. That that's I think part of the pouring out is he he submitted a hundred percent to God's will. You you see that dramatically in the garden, right? He didn't. Oh, Hampton, I'm almost gonna cry when I say this, but he didn't want to do what he did. Yeah, is that, if you can take weird? take this cup from me, he did not want to do that. But here's the part that almost makes me cry. I could imagine a scenario where I might die for somebody. You know, maybe it, if my daughter's going to get run over by a car and the only way I could save her was to get hit myself, toss her out of the way, I could 
I could imagine that. I'm, I'm not sure. You know what I mean? In the heat of the moment, I don't know if I would do that, but I, I could imagine it. But I could never imagine throwing my daughter in front of the car for somebody else. There's no way I would do that. Yeah. So to me, when Jesus says, take this cup, I think of the father saying no. I can't imagine that. Yeah. So while you think of Jesus's sacrifice for you, don't forget the father's sacrifice for you. Right. In a sense, it was more in its innocence. Yeah. Yeah. But where, where we were going with this is, so he emptied himself of his position. The, the image is not the reality itself. So there's a distinction between God and his image. As, as we said at the beginning, there's an infinite step down. But look at the result of this. Verse 9, as a result, <laughs> okay, God highly exalted him. It gave him the name that's above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. So Jesus is a man forevermore. He's a man today. Mm -hmm. See how exalted that, you know what I'm, you know what I'm driving at, right? That, so we, we've said the core belief as um, when Jesus took on humanity, it wasn't that big of a step down. That's a man that every knee will bow down to. Where? What, what every knee? In, in heaven, on earth and under the heaven, earth. Right, everywhere. So in other words, that first in heaven, that's a reference to the angelic realm, is it not? Mm -hmm. We'll bow down to a man. Once again, our authority structure of the universe, right? Every knee will bow to a human being. So anyway. What's under the earth? I think those are the, just, you know, even those who have gone before. Right, the, the the demons in prison and um, unbelieving mankind. I I would take that reference. I'm not a hundred percent on that, but I would think that's what it is. Yeah. So, how about? Thank goodness these books are back to back, so I don't have to turn many pages. How about Colossians chapter one? Okay. For, verse fifteen. Reference in reference to. Jesus Christ, he is the image of the invisible God. Doesn't that take us back to Genesis? Mm -hmm. He's in, and again, Hampton, imagine our authority structure, right? The blurred line between one and two. He is the image. Jesus is that blurred, like both of those put together. The result of that, perfect peace. 
for all creation. So, but let's read it. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For all things in heaven and earth were created in him. All things, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions, whether principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He himself is before all things and all things are held together in him. He's the head of the body, the church, as well as the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself may become first in all things. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in the Son, and through him to reconcile all things to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross, through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. So Hampton didn't, so when you hear that through the lens of our authority structure, doesn't that just make perfect sense? Yeah, it does. Isn't that what, what God's talking about in, in a sense? I know it's my own construction, the pyramid like that, but that's how I see that. So did anything stand out to you? Well, I wondered why we went with firstborn. Okay. <laughs> in the net Bible. Okay. Well, I would have, I think I would have said the preeminent one over all creation rather than firstborn. Okay. So here, here's my take on that. I, I like firstborn, but only with explanation because yeah, that can sound like uh, didn't exist and then did exist. Right. Right. <laughs> The eternal but, generation of the sun doctrine comes from this. <laughs> As it should. But to me, <laughs> to me, the, the essence is on inheritance, right? The firstborn is the guy that got the lion's share of the inheritance. And well, that's, which, good. that's a good point. I hadn't really thought about the inheritance aspect. I mean, that's how I read it. So he, uh, so he inherits everything. Right. He, he inherits the universe. And I think that's what in is it Revelation six or or five or four where they maybe four where they have the scroll is presented. It's not six, four or five. OK, where, where the lamb is presented the scroll. I think that's the deed. I think that's his inheritance. OK. So that's what I see behind the concept of firstborn. I also see that tying back to Genesis in this sense. When in Genesis 3, right after the fall, we've talked about this before, so you're, you're ready to dive into this. The first thing God did with Adam and Eve, and, you know, after his speech, was what? Doesn't he clothe them? Yeah. yeah. What's that signifying? Not just, hey, let me cover had, up. Had to sacrifice an animal to get the that's, skin. That's where a lot of people go. Here's where I go. Again, okay. feel free to rein me in. What was it that bothered Joseph's brothers about Joseph and his relationship with Jacob? What does the text make a big deal out of? What are they seeing every day? They, he treated him special, gave him the special the what? coat. And the coat. Right. How are they interpreting that? Not just, hey, you got to 
tuxedo for the prom or you got a tuxedo for what how are they interpreting his coat aren't as they in, as inheritance first, as inheritance so in the prodigal son what's the first thing the dad does when the son comes back clothes him clothes robe on him right signifying you haven't lost your inheritance so with adam and eve read it that way hampton you haven't lost your inheritance and isn't jesus called the son of man son of adam by luke mm -hmm. right he's the heir he's the firstborn so anyway that's how i read that okay then here's another thing that stands out to me obviously you get the the angelic realm referred to right the thrones and the dominions all things will bow down to a man principalities and powers he created them all is that not a, a powerful thought when when satan's confronting jesus whether it's at the cross or in the wilderness right he, that's his creator he and he knows that wow but it's also his image the creator's image and he knows maybe there's vulnerability there that's yeah. it's an interesting way to think about it but then um uh, here's here's one that's always interested me uh, all things verse 17 he himself is before all things and all things are held together in him held together i love that concept because you start, me, you start thinking about atoms and yes, protons right. and electrons the physical realm. And, and, yeah. and all the space that's in between those yes. things and it's all being held together somehow. Exactly. Yeah. The chemical bonds, the ionic bonds, right? All the different ways things are held together and in our study of the physical world through chemistry and physics. And so to me, the upshot is, you know, usually it, the power that's in that is incomprehensible because for jesus to destroy something he doesn't have to blow it up just he stop just, holding it together he just has to let it go <laughs> so imagine the arrogance in satan as he confronts the person that could just let him go <laughs> yeah oh boy so anyway Here's our final takeaway. I hope that it's understood within the context of our whole hour. When Jesus took on humanity, it wasn't that big of a step down. So anyway, that's where I'd like to leave it. Well, that was very good. Something, okay, to, think of, something to think about. I hope so. Okay. We will talk to you next time. Thank you. Bye. Therefore, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may test and approve 
what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. <laughs> <laughs>